Welcome to Bad Dad, Rad Dad, where we look for better dads one movie at a time. I'm Kylie. And I'm Elliot. And we are going to talk about the movies we watched this week before crowning the baddest dad and raddest dad of them all. And as always, dad is an energy, not a gender. So I wanted to do something a little bit fun. Ooh, fun. To, to kick off this episode because I've been seeing a lot of this kind of starting to crop up on YouTube and in uh, online articles is that people are starting to kind of pick their top movies of 2022 so far because we're we're, at that like halfway point yeah exactly so i'm like hey why don't we do that (laughs) so (laughs) yeah i i said i suggested we do that so i think and we haven't compared lists yet and i'm not sure how this is gonna go (laughs) but we've each picked our top five movies that have been released in 2022 and that's where a bit of the complications may or may not come in but we'll get into that (laughs) complications (laughs) but we've we're gonna fight we've uh picked our top five and we'll kind of compare contrast um i have a few honorable mentions and then yeah are we gonna go starting with five i think we should yeah okay okay um are we do you have yours in like a particular order i have them from the first to the fifth but I can just read them in the opposite order. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that's what I have. I have it in ascending order. Yeah. Um, so I'll start. My number five that has come out was X. Hey, me too. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So we talked about this one. I, I, I Well, we've talked about all of the ones on my list, I guess. Mine too. Okay. Yeah. So we're good. Yeah. X X is great. It's yeah, like it's super fun. There hasn't been a ton of horror movies that have come out this year that we've seen. Not not that we've seen and loved. Yeah. Um, yeah, X is fun. It has something to say, but it doesn't like sacrifice its funness to just be really smart. It like balances that really nicely. Um, yeah, yeah, I liked it a lot. I, I will watch it many times. Yeah, I agree. It's just like another and another banger from A24 this year. <laughs> They're having a There's hell a lot of a year. A24. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, what was your number four? Brush. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, my number four was Rathaniel. Oh, okay. Why? Why fresh? Um, honestly, kind of some similar reasons to X. Like it's it's a horror movie. It's almost more thrillery to me. But that's as someone who likes horror a lot. I guess if you're um, not really a horror person, this probably is a horror movie. So mm-hmm. maybe calling it thriller isn't um, isn't fair. But it's horror light. Yeah, I would yeah. say like X is definitely more full throttle horror. Um, but I thought it was re- again, really smart, really fun. I thought the performances were really great. Um, some like new voices, like we knew we liked Ty West already, but uh, Mimi Cave was the director of yeah. that one. Like hadn't seen anything she'd done. And um, yeah, I just, I really liked it. Um, I had wanted to see it just because Sebastian Stan was in it. And then <laughs> yeah. it just was like pleasantly really great. Yeah. Uh, also, I, I don't know, maybe it has like a little bit of a special place in my heart because it's like on our first episode. Mm-hmm. And from our first episode, it was the movie that like a lot of people watched because we had talked about it and then really liked it. And then we had further conversations about. So it's just really got a special place in my heart. I hadn't really thought about Fresh again until starting to put this list together and i was like wow fresh is awesome well thankfully when you've letterboxed pro you can go in and it tells you like your top rated movies of 
the year. Right. And so a lot of this is just looking at looking at the. <laughs> Funnily enough, I didn't look at that <laughs> when I was putting this list. Together. I'm like, well, I mean, this is if I trust my past self and how I've rated things, then this is my t- my top. I did. Um, I left something else. Whatever. I can't talk right now, so I'll move on. Okay. <laughs> Tell me why you picked with that. <laughs> yeah, I just think that we talked about it last week and yeah, it just it I feel like it's one of those it's one of those specials that is able to say a lot and kind of break the mold of what a special or a comedy special is and what it can mean and I I just feel like what Gerard Carmichael was putting out there was just so I, I don't know. I feel like it was so important and it was beautiful and it was just packaged all really nicely and the direction from Bo Burnham and the cinematography, like it was just, it was really great. And having, you know, I watched it twice in a day. Mm-hmm. So it was clearly something I really liked and I'll probably revisit again. So mm-hmm. yeah, really like, really liked Rathaniel. So that's my number four spot. Number three spot for me was the Batman. You too. No, <laughs> no. I guess people can't see me. I was nodding yes, as in yes, I knew the Batman would be on your list. And then when you said you two, I was nodding no, as in it's not anywhere on my list. <laughs> yeah. um, That's fair. Yeah, <laughs> my number three is Nathaniel. No, nice, nice. <laughs> yeah, the 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 Batman for me, it it. I was like, is this number two or number three? And it, it ended up being number three because yeah, I I really loved it. It's it set up such a great first step into what Matt Reeves and co are going to be doing with this this um Batman universe and I'm really excited for what's been set up and the movie was really enjoyable saw it twice in the theater and that says a lot as it's like a three-hour movie essentially mm-hmm. and I've spent a lot of time watching interviews <laughs> and listening to podcasts about about the Batman uh since seeing it so yeah Number three on my list. Yeah, I've done none of that. I love your love for the Batman. Um, and I liked the Batman. But um, yeah, it That's doesn't fair. crack my top five. In terms of Rathaniel, I don't really have much more to add other than just I really think everyone should watch it. Yeah, totally. So, um, and I'm not seeing it on the, <laughs> the one list that I looked at. It wasn't on the one list of best <laughs> movies so far. I pretty much exclusively look at AV Club, but it wasn't there. So Well, shame on them. Shame on them indeed. What was your number two? Okay, so this is where you might disagree with my like manipulation of the facts, but I picked after Yang. And I don't care that it's considered a twenty twenty one. So it like premiered in twenty twenty one, but it didn't get a wide release anywhere in the world until twenty twenty two. And so most people are counting it as a twenty twenty two movie on their list because Unless you were invited to a premiere, you had no access to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm considering it a 2022 movie, and I am considering it the second best movie so far of 2022. Yeah, I'll speak a little bit more to how I approached my list and the whole 2021-2022 debacle. But I, I, I'm not going to argue with your choice because <laughs> After Yang is amazing. Yeah, <laughs> I just like. Um, it's one of the best movies I've ever seen in my entire life, and it had. I, I can't wait to watch it again. Um, it's an A twenty four movie as well, right? Yeah. And like I'm seeing nothing of it in the A twenty four store, which is disappointing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can't wait to buy a great, cool physical copy, or 
just a digital copy and be able to watch it with subtitles and like really you know, experience it in like my own home where I can weep perhaps even more than I did when I saw it initially. It's just beautiful and quiet and profound. And I really, really loved it. Yeah, uh, I, I agree with that. I haven't even heard what your pick is. I just trumped, I just took over the conversation there. No, that's okay. Uh, my number two is fresh. Oh, interesting. Whoa, that's like way higher up than I would have. Yeah. Well, like I said, when I was, I hadn't really thought about Fresh since we covered it in our first episode. And when I was kind of going back through and I I rewatched the trailer, which I'm, again, I'm really glad we didn't watch before watching Fresh for the first time because it just gives so many things away. Um, But it just reignited that, like, oh man, like this movie was so cool and I I loved it so much and it was so fun. And, yeah, I remember like not hesitating giving this a five out of five because <laughs> yeah, I had such a good time with it. So, and like, whereas like the Batman, I had to kind of be like, like kind of hum and haw about it a mm-hmm. little bit. Fresh, it was just like bang, mm-hmm. five out of five. So that's why it edged it out a little bit. Nice. Yeah. Okay. I think we know what our number one is. Do you want to say it at the same time? Yeah. Okay. One, two, three, everything, everything everywhere, everywhere, all at once. <laughs> Uh, yeah. I mean, you can't argue with the fact that we mention it every episode. <laughs> yeah, we've seen it four times in the theater. I think if someone, if the world were to obliterate right now and your internet history was the only thing that like future life forms or space life forms had access to, they would think that this movie was like a god. <laughs> yeah <laughs> like my specific yours elliot yeah. elliot yes because history. your youtube for you page is basically just video essays and reaction videos to everything everyone yeah. and every day you have like a new clip of something you want to show me that somebody has said or an interview with the daniels or you just want to rewatch certain scenes from it um <laughs> yeah. your love for it runs deep yeah. Mine too, but like you take it to another level. <laughs> yeah, I pretty much exclusively like as it's gotten a, the home release now like it's it's fully out on digital and Blu-ray now. Um more and more reactions are popping up and anytime one does I just throw it in the watch next mm-hmm. on YouTube and just like interested in hearing people's takes on it and like I love watching them experience the movie. Um, yeah, watching like video essays and breakdowns and comparisons to other films and and, yeah, interviews with cast and crew. I really, something I'm super disappointed about is that Canada did not get any really nice exclusive 4K Blu-ray release, um, packaging. Uh, and the States did like there's a Walmart exclusive that is like the cover of it is the title made up of googly eyes and it's so cool. And we don't have that here in Canada. You just buy a version and then buy googly eyes and put them all just, over just it. Just make my own cover. Yeah. yeah. But I really want to buy, I, like, I'm sure, I swear, like, if this goes to the Oscars, which I think it should and will, and it wins all the awards, I will probably cry. <laughs> but I feel like this has a better release in its future, whether that's on Criterion or if it's A24 releasing a special edition or something. It deserves that in Canada. Um but I really want to pick it up because I want to I want to watch it again. I want to watch it with the director's commentary. And I want to see they have a bunch of deleted scenes in there too that I want to mm-hmm. watch that just aren't online and I don't really want to watch them, like seek them out online. 
And they have a few other like feature ads on there that I want to check out too. So this weird part of my um, personality is cropping up that I feel like I kind of had put to rest, um, but was really prominent when I was a like young kid and, and into my teens, which is like, I don't want anyone in our lives who we care about to watch it for the first time without me being there. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. <laughs> um, which like isn't fair or like people can watch it on their own and then just talk to me about it but like i want to be there and i want to like witness them watch it which is like kind of a lot of pressure for them like <laughs> yeah. they probably don't feel it but like that's a weird thing to expect like our um our really good friend tabitha i was hanging out with her yesterday and i was just like how can we watch it together like you haven't seen it yet how can we watch <laughs> it together and like, yeah. i want to watch it with my siblings for the first time and i want to watch it with my mom and um a great way to make that happen would be to just buy a copy and be like, I own it. Come over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I just want to watch it and I want everyone else to watch it and I want to watch them watch it. I guess where you are interested in watching like complete strangers reactions, I'm really interested in like watching it and seeing like people I know's reactions. Well, I'm like super disappointed because Metro Cinema was showing it this week and it just didn't work out, but we were going to go with your sister and brother-in-law and your brother-in-law just has He's your brother-in-law too yeah but he just has great reactions to <laughs> yeah. movies especially comedy movies yeah he uh has a great laugh he tends to like repeat jokes and i just uh like say them out loud again but in like a really soft quiet voice um we will watch it with them i don't i don't see them watching it without us but we'll have to watch it at home yeah i'm disappointed we didn't get to go to the theater to see it but yeah like i think we need to kind of put our foot down and be like, don't watch it without us. We want, because I, I really want to watch it. <laughs> no one us. has permission to watch it unless <laughs> it's with us. Yeah. So, I mean, probably comes as no surprise that that's, yeah. that's our number one. Can I ask you a question? Mm -hmm. So, I respect your, um, your respect for the official ruling of After Yang being a 2021 movie. But if you were going to consider it a 2022 movie, I have a feeling it would be in your top five. What would you bump? Would it be X? Or would it make you reevaluate your top five in its entirety? Mm, I feel like it'd probably be X. So like the thing is, is yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I just didn't want to open up that can of worms of like 2021 movies that we couldn't see until 2022. Um, so the, the list of movies that I really loved that we've seen in 2022 that are listed as 2021 movies are Drive My Car, After Yang, Petite Mama, Happening, and The Black Phone. Yeah, I would agree with all those. Um, I also honorable mention to Inside the Outtakes. Well, my my honorable mentions are Inside the Outtakes, um, Jackass Forever. <laughs> it was pretty fun. And, it was, yeah, it was good. And the Bob's Burgers movie. Yeah, okay. I Yeah, I, I can put my um, backing behind those things. Inside the Outtakes, though, like, is a five out of five experience for me. It just... Um, it feels like such a companion piece that I it just didn't fit in my top five. I mean, I guess also unsurprising that our top five is relatively similar. I thought it would be, except I expected you to have the Batman in yours. Yeah. And I imagine you expected me not to have the Batman in mine. Yeah. Now, I will say, um, by the time this episode comes out, we will have seen Marcel the Shell with shoes on. And I have a feeling <laughs> that that's going <laughs> to enter the top five. Yeah. But it's... It's top five based on what we've currently seen. So so that that little guy just doesn't get to have a spot yet. Well, that's the other thing, too, is like there are still movies that have come out this year that we haven't seen yeah. that I really want to see. Vortex. That, yeah. Um, there's also 
another movie um, that's called RRR that I really yeah. want to see, which is on a lot of lists mm-hmm. that I've been seeing. So yeah, there's well, th- this is this is very much just the top five of what we've seen. Not saying, not suggesting that we've seen everything no. that has come out. No, we haven't. Uh, yeah, I mean, like we haven't seen Lightyear. We haven't seen Top Gun Maverick. Is Lightyear on people's lists? I don't know, but it's like that seems like fundamental movie going because it's Pixar and like Top Gun uh, Maverick is on a lot of lists. Yeah. Yeah. I'm more interested in watching that than Lightyear. Yeah. I think we should do because I've never seen Top Gun. You've never seen Top Gun. We should watch that and then go to this uh, at oh, some point. Maybe. Before it leaves theaters. Yeah, maybe. But yeah, that's it. That was a fun little thing that. Yeah. So I, I guess it's do. like everything everywhere all at once. Rathaniel Fresh X. And then uh, Batman, the Batman and After Yang. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. Nice. Yeah. See them. Yeah. yeah but- this was fun. So, yeah, I think, I don't know how we'll do it, but I think that at the end of the year, we'll sit down and kind of put together um, top five, top ten, something for to wrap up the year of the movies that we saw and what were our favorites and what stood out. But, yeah. Totally. Cool. Let's talk about the movies we watched this week. Hell Yeah. We didn't talk about who's going to intro what, but I'm I'm going to intro Lost Highway. Yeah, <laughs> I think we I think we we have a plan that we usually without we talk talking about, about the plan. But, yeah, um, yeah, this is so exciting. We got to see our first David Lynch movie in the theater. Not our first David Lynch movie ever, but our first time ever seeing a David Lynch movie in a theater. I think. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Which is the best way to see? A oh David my goodness! Lynch movie. Yeah. So. Lost Highway is from 1997, but it's recently been remastered. And so it is airing in theaters like worldwide, I imagine, um, certainly in North America. And um, Metro Cinema, our favorite theater, uh, was playing it. I think just two showings. Yeah. It was a pretty long movie. So we went to the one showing that was a little bit earlier. And it was like a 645, I think, show. Um, so Lost Highway is directed by David Lynch, written by him and Barry Gifford. Um, the synopsis I love. So the synopsis for this movie is anonymous videotapes presage a musician's murder conviction and a gangster's girlfriend leads a mechanic astray. <laughs> Beautiful. I mean, it's I like all that. true. Yeah. Um, it stars Bill Pullman as Fred Madison, Patricia Arquette as uh, a couple people. Um, Robert Blake as mystery man and Balthazar Getty as Pete Dayton. Yeah, this was such a joy to get to see a David Lynch movie with like other people, other people that were excited to see it just in the theater and to have it be remastered and in such good quality. What did you think of Lost Highway? I thought it was great. Like it's just that classic David Lynch mind trip, which <laughs> yeah. you can you can come to expect. And it was cool too because because they were only doing a couple showings, the, the theater was actually pretty busy. So yeah, it was like busier pretty than big, usual. So it was a pretty big audience, which was really nice. Um, it also had, it, we jokingly on the way to the theater, we were like, I hope that David Lynch does one of his weather reports that he puts online before the movie starts. Fully expecting that that wouldn't be a thing, but he actually has like- I, I knew that there was going to be a- Oh, I, I had no idea. Yeah, no, I knew that. So there was like a, an introduction from David Lynch, which was also, it was just hilarious. It was like short and sweet and so funny. And so David it Lynch. immediately set the tone for like how great the theater experience was going to be because the audience was laughing in this like knowing way of like, oh, David Lynch. Yeah, yeah. And 
it just kind of created this sense of camaraderie in the theater that then got me so excited to just like have that experience that we haven't had a chance to have with a David Lynch movie. And we love David Lynch so much, not unique in that, but we've always had to watch it by ourselves. And so we haven't gotten to have that feeling of both community and individual experience at the same time that we talk about a lot. And so I just, yeah, said starting it off with that little video and seeing how much everybody clearly is either excited to experience a David Lynch movie for the first time ever, because I'm sure there were some people who were like, I've never seen a David Lynch movie, I'm going to go. And then people who like have seen Lost Highway a million times. Um, we had never seen it, like period. Yeah. Um, so not only was this our first experience of a David Lynch film in the theater, but also it was our first time seeing Lost Highway, mm -hmm. um, which was really exciting for me because I really wanted to see Eraserhead for the first time ever in the theater. And I think I've mentioned this on the show before. And like Metro has played it several times over the years that we've been going there, but it's just never worked out to to go. Um, and so I was holding off ever watching it any other way. And then when the pandemic hit and I think it was on Netflix, I was just like, OK, screw it. I'm, let's just watch it. And so to finally get to see a David Lynch movie for the first time ever in the theater was a total joy. Yeah. Yeah. It was just like kind of hit a moment during the pandemic where there was just so many movies, David Lynch and otherwise, that we were holding out for hope that we would get to see them at Metro. But as the pandemic raged on, we're like, we don't know how long this is going to be. Yeah, let's just watch it. Let's home. start getting into these. So, yeah, no, it was totally cool. And it, yeah, such a great way to experience, a, at, like, especially a David Lynch movie uh, in the theater. But yeah, this one, this one was like, this one was really fun. Um, it, it kind of, because of the mind trippiness, it pulls you in so many different directions. <laughs> like one minute you could be kind of like upset or feeling a little uneasy or unsettled. And then the next you're laughing. And yeah. And, yeah, and that was so fun to like hear folks in the theater laughing at like those same bizarro moments that like you're almost not sure if you should laugh or not. Um, at the same time, though, I think Lost Highway is kind of a nice middle ground between some of Lynch's like really abstract stuff. Yeah. Like the Inland Empire, the Eraserhead, episode eight of Twin Peaks, The Return. Yeah. Um, and his like more straightforward stuff like Blue Velvet. Yeah. Um. It's a nice kind of, I don't know that I would say this should be like your entry David Lynch movie, but um, it, it, it does strike a nice balance between those two approaches he, he has. Yeah, I agree. And I was, kind of, I was kind of thinking throughout too, like just thinking about the, being an actor and being put in the process of making a David Lynch movie and just like how ev everyone there, by, especially by this point of making Lost Highway, you just kind of, if you're on the set, you understand the assignment of mm -hmm. being on a David Lynch movie. You know that it, there's things that he's going to want to do that don't make don't make sense, <laughs> and and likely don't make sense to David Lynch. He's just like, let's do this. Um, you don't think he has a plan in mind or meaning behind what he's doing? I mean, he has said, in some cases, he just goes and plays. That's yeah, that's true. I think he has. I think the fundamental thread of all of his movies, though, like he knows what it means. Oh yeah. Of course, like otherwise, why would anyone want to be there? Like it would just be like a big old mess. Like I think there's definitely a structure and a plan and a, a vision that he has, and it's you know everyone 
knows more or less what the how the movie's going to play out. I don't know. I don't know that that's true. Some of the trivia I read for this was like people were very like unsure of like what things meant or um, they're just like, I'm just doing it again. I think that's like there's a trust in him and his vision. Yeah. Like that's what I mean by everyone understands the assignment. Like there's just things that David's going to want to do and David has a vision and we're just here to help him (laughs) make that vision happen. (laughs) It was interesting to see one. Um, that didn't have like as many of his key players. Like I've mm-hmm. never seen Patricia Arquette in a David Lynch film. I am um, I actually I had had a lunch with some colleagues in June and um, Bill Pullman came up in conversation. And I was like, I don't know who that is. And and one of my colleagues was like flabbergasted at that and was like, no, you surely know who that is. And we like brought up a picture of him and I'm like, no, I, I don't know who that is. And then I looked through his, um, imdb page and the only thing i had seen him in was casper and i just like didn't remember that so yeah so yeah just like i don't really know bill pullman i'd never seen him in anything else by david lynch don't know balthazar getty (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. so it was like interesting to just see you know no kyle mclaughlin no laura dern um yeah but what's his name jack rance is that his name from Eraserhead? yeah and twin peaks i think i think that's his name it's so like one person in a very small role. Yeah. And yeah, that's. Yeah. Um, but everybody did great. Yeah. It, it's so funny because he, because of just the nature of David Lynch and how he approaches his characters, he he likes to like have sequences where they go from zero to a hundred really fast, which is kind of very, it's very soapy, like very soap opera mm-hmm. to to kind of have those big like emotional fluctuations just kind of out of nowhere. And in some cases it adds to it, it or it becomes more humorous. And in some cases it's like kind of scary. <laughs> and, he really plays with the uncanny, right? Where you're oh, like, yeah. there's just, I, I don't know that there's any filmmaker I've seen. And I'm sure there are lots out there or like there's moments in other films I can think of, but just consistently David Lynch's work. There's just these like incredibly mundane things that are terrifying me. Yeah. And it's a feeling. It's mm. not a logical fear. It's just like, Oh, I'm so unsettled by this. Like deeply, we've talked about this before when we talked about Inland Empire, but just like the way he vacillates between like dream dream logic and nightmare logic and how like the dream logic plays into that more like soapy romantic stuff. And then when it starts to become eerie and unsettling, it's starting to like turn into the stuff of nightmares. Well, and that's the thing. Having seen so many David Lynch things at this point, you... He still has this ability that like when watching Lost Highway where you kind of start thinking that you've built trust in what he's created and then all of a sudden he pulls the rug out from under you and you're just kind of like you're lost again and you're like what is what is up what is down who what who who am I focusing on now who's our who's kind of our protagonist what's yeah what's happening and like this isn't the, the only movie to do that and he he loves doing that. I can tell you I was not expecting an industrial metal soundtrack. No. <laughs> yeah. My my late high school music tastes coming back to haunt me. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, a David Lynch film with like nine inch nails and Ramstein playing. Like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean it worked. Um and then like pairing like just so juxtaposed with like is it Angelo Badalamenti? Yes, I think so. Um, his score, which can be really soapy, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah, what an experience. I um, highly recommend if you like David Lynch at all, 
and you have a chance to go see one of his films in the theater to do it. And this, the remastering was really well done. Yeah. Like the sound was phenomenal. Um, it looked great. Yeah. Really, yeah, really, really, really wonderful. Speaking of looking great, man, Patricia Arquette was a babe in this. Yeah. Very babely. Yeah, back to her like, I'm a big fan of, well, I mean, I haven't seen it in years, but True Romance. Yeah. She's a babe in that. She's so cool. <laughs> She's so cool. It was really hard, though. I'm like, why am I attracted to Gypsy Rose's mom? Like- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. No, she was... Uh- she was very baby, very babely in this, um, and she did. She was so great; like she fit into, yeah, the David Lynch catalog perfectly. Yeah, there's a there's a really great video on YouTube. I don't know who's posted it, but it's uh, this interview with all of, or a majority of David Lynch's kind of recurring female actresses that he's worked with, and mm-hmm. they all just kind of recount moments or stories from working with david lynch on set and what he's like and deal and like kind of dealing with the lynchisms but yeah patricia arquette has a bit in there too it's really great i i suggest i recommend you seek it out if you are a david lynch fan but yeah um i think that uh i yeah i agree like i think that you know this could function as kind of an entry entry what is it like entry point? I don't know. Yeah, I would probably if if I was if someone was like I've never seen David Lynch, what should I watch first? I would say Blue Velvet or Mulholland Drive. That's what I'd say. Or too. the first season of Twin Peaks. Yeah, so maybe it's not the first film you should watch, but maybe like a second. Like yeah, if you of, liked Blue Velvet, yeah, give Lost Highway a try. But I mean, we still haven't seen them all. We haven't seen the Straight Story. We haven't seen Wild at Heart. Yeah, is that it? I think so. Yeah, I think that's it. We're close. We're getting there. Yeah. So, yeah, we had this absolutely wonderful experience of getting to see this in the theater. Um, how did Lost Highway make you feel? Just kind of joyfully lost is what I had. <laughs> That's a nice way to put it. Um, yeah, it just, it, and similar to many other David Lynch things, like you're just kind of, you kind of get lost in it, but you're there for the ride. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's fun. It's upsetting in a good way sometimes in a bad way um it can just like pull on a lot of emotions and a lot of feelings that not a lot of stuff does just by his way of going about his art so yeah how about you yeah i like it's, it was that classic lynchian mix of like it feels really romantic and then also like i'm a little bit scared i'm a little bit horrified i'm mm-hmm. feeling existential mm-hmm. i'm pretty confused um but I also, like you, I'm just enjoying the entire ride. Yeah. And trusting that by the end, I'm going to have my own feelings and interpretations of it and, and that I can just, like, leave with that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Cool. It was right. awesome. Yeah. Uh, the next movie was my mystery movie pick. And I picked the movie Mission Impossible from 1996. It was directed by Brian De Palma, written by David Kep, Steve Zalian. Uh, Robert Town, and based off the TV series created by Bruce Geller. Um, it stars Tom Cruise as Ethan Hunt, John Voight as Jim Phelps, Ving Rhames as Luther, Emmanuel Burt as Claire, and Jean Reno as Krieger. I like him. Uh, 
And the synopsis for this one, an American agent under false suspicion of disloyalty must discover and expose the real spy without the help of his organization. That's That sounds so boring. <laughs> Appropriate. Um, so I picked this because I really liked this movie as a kid. I watched it quite a few times. I even played like the N64 tie-in game that they had for this a lot. I really liked it. Um, and of all of the Mission Impossible movies that have come out, I kind of had like, I felt like knowing you don't like action movies, <laughs> I felt like you might like this one of all of them because it's the least kind of like bang pow action movie. Um, so what do you think of Mission Impossible? So I think a conclusion I've drawn after seeing this because at one point, like while watching it, I said, I guess I really don't like action movies. And you're like, but there hasn't even been that much action. So I actually don't think it's about I used to think I didn't like action movies because I got bored when it was just action. Mm -hmm. But I think what it is, is I just am I don't feel I don't often feel connected to movies that are are uninterested in character development. Yeah. So this is the type of movie that I really struggle with because I, I've said several times I'm drawn to stories and media that are character and or emotion based. Um, and while I've, you know, especially through the course of like us doing the mystery movies and giving some of these movies that I would have, it would have been like pulling teeth to get me to agree to watch, giving them a try. I've come to realize like I shouldn't just judge a movie based on its genre. Like just because it's an action movie doesn't mean I'm not going to like it. There's a higher likelihood, but I'm, I'm not as dismissive of them outright. Like, I really liked the Terminator movies, mm -hmm. um, but there needs to be character development and investment for me to have a chance, I think, of liking it. Um, a, you know, an action movie where the plot matters to the characters rather than the characters only existing to serve the plot, which is what I felt about this movie. Like, I felt like the character of Ethan had no backstory no real investment other than like the synopsis right an american agent under false suspicion of disloyalty must discover and expose the real spy but why for what reason what does it serve him what does it do for him if he's successful or if he's not like there was no investment in his journey as a character right and that made me pretty much completely uninterested in the film Hmm. and like what does that say to the larger scope of action movies and tailoring action movies to their audiences like is that kind of but is, I mean, it, is this suggesting that maybe people who are going to action movies have less patience for that kind of character development i mean i don't want to phrase it as a negative judgment on someone like i don't think i'm better than or that like movies that have character motion based focuses are inherently better than plot based focuses um they just don't really appeal to me and i know the same is like other people aren't that interested in a character or emotion based story and are more drawn to just experiencing a plot because like i could see how someone would find this movie really fun i just struggle to find fun if there's not a, an emotion or a character to anchor me within that and I didn't think that existed here. 
for me. And I like I, I was willing to give it a, to give it a go. Like I wasn't like, oh, Mission Impossible. I, I'm, I don't think I was. <laughs> um, but, so, like, yeah. So you're are you kind of less able to kind of suspend your 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 kind of desire for wanting that kind of character development to be just like okay Ethan is our protagonist I, I I'm on his side I'm rooting for him like does oh, that does I, that shape that at all yeah or? because I just don't care <laughs> right yeah, like yeah, yeah. yeah I just like I find in movies like that without this base of character and or emotion my mind just drifts mm. I'm just like I'm there's nothing to especially because I, I am somebody that like struggles with visual things generally. Mm-hmm. If there's not something to anchor me into the visual experience that's outside of the visual, I'm I'm probably going to struggle to stay focused. Well, and that's been such an interesting thing that I've learned since we've started doing the mystery movie picks, which has led to me showing you more and more action movies because like we never really watched action movies together so no. this has kind of the, been the first undertaking of watching numerous action movies together and it's made me kind of realize how reliant action movies are on visual cues and in some cases very subtle visual cues and it's something i'm aware of when i'm watching stuff with you of like should I maybe tell you what happened in certain <laughs> scenarios? Well, sometimes you may I, have I sometimes it. I have to ask questions. I always come back to when I'm trying to explain to people that I'm not just being like I'm not over exaggerating when I say that like I I struggle with visual things. That back when I because I, I struggle when I read graphic novels too. I like them and I enjoy reading them, but sometimes I'm confused. And I remember when I was reading the Walking Dead comics, I was like, how do you tell the difference between Andrea and and somebody else? I'm like, I can't. How do I know who's who? And you're like, well, one of them has freckles and one of them's always got their hair in a ponytail. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, but who? how was I to notice that? You know, without <laughs> like, I need like a guide at the beginning that says Andrea equals freckles or whatever, right? <laughs> um, because my mind just doesn't make those connections. Like if you tell me and make them for me, then I'm good and I can follow it. But they don't happen naturally for me. So interesting. Yeah. But give me an essay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I can I can do that. So yeah, I don't know. It was I wasn't impressed with this movie. When you said there was a video game tie-in, it, it brought this thought to me that like because I was hanging out with a friend recently and I was mentioning that like in the summer I usually try and play a video game by myself. Are you going to play Mission Impossible? No. <laughs> and she was like, oh, what kind of video games do you play? And that's when I was like, yeah, like I don't play games that don't have a story. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, I love Last of Us. But the last and the last of us has more shooting and scavenging and things than most games that I play because I'm so bad at visual things. Um, I've gotten a lot better, though. Practice does help. But at the end of the day, the last of us is anchored by story and character and emotion. Right. Mm-hmm. As compared to like the Golden Eye game, mm-hmm. which is like just running around shooting things. Yeah. There's no character investment or growth or story. And that's how I felt about Mission Impossible. I just like did not care. I just didn't care. So this has sounded really negative. I'm going to say two things and then I want you to talk about what you like about it. And or how it held up or how much you like it now as compared to before. So two things. One, that one scene is really cool. In that the, one uh, scene did it for me. The the terminal room? Yes. Where he's descending. Loved that. Loved that whole scene. 
So I think I could have got more on board with it and I can like let the character and stuff drop a little bit if there's like fun, a fun mystery. Right. But, like I kind of had the mystery. I kind of figured it out. I, I had a thought of like what, what was the like, but, but that moment where there's like tension and I liked it. It was cool. Fun gadgets. The other thing is I'm really glad I know about the face rips. Yeah. Uh, that's fun. It's funny. I feel like I have some pop culture knowledge now. But other than that, I am completely uninterested in seeing any of the future Mission Impossible movies. I won't veto them if you pick them, but I'm not that interested in watching them. <laughs> um, tell me about your experience with Mission Impossible when you were younger, now, similar, different changes, what have you. So what I really like about this movie, so if there's a few things. So what I like about this, especially in comparison to subsequent Mission Impossible movies, is its patience. Like it doesn't, we're not kind of moving from action set piece to action set piece. Like there's, no, there's, there's exposition in between. There's a whole see. There's a whole sequence of Tom Cruise just sitting at a laptop and like just like typing away. But I think it also, I mean, the opening job that him and his team are doing is so compelling. And it just builds tension and has like some humor weave throughout. Um, I mean, I agree with you. Like the characters here are just kind of like. They're set pieces. Yeah, they're just kind of like whatever. But I like that. And, and this might also just be kind of a testament to Brian De Palma. Like there's some elements of it that as a kid, I thought, especially as that um, that first job that him and his team are doing, uh, Ethan and his team as it's unfolding, there's kind of some spooky elements to it because Danny Elfman did the score. Oh, really? Yeah. But there's a lot of subtle music or no music in mm. in this movie. And in that opening scene, they've pulled the music completely. So it's just kind of like this, what's going on? Like what's going to happen next? And there's just like a lot of tension. And I feel like that's really effective. And yeah, I, I don't know. I I felt like... I feel like this role of Ethan Hunt is also just like this is this this role was made for Tom Cruise. Like this is yeah. I find him really um It's very minority report. Yeah, like I, I find his role in this movie to be like I enjoy watching him in this role. I've in, I enjoyed this him playing this character in the subsequent Mission Impossible movies. I also just like I love watching Tom Cruise run. <laughs> like the man knows how to and the man really knows how to haul ass and he runs in like pretty much everything that he's in for the most part i just really enjoy watching tom cruise run really fast um but i agree with you the uh the terminal room where, when he's descending from the ceiling is iconic i think you even said like you knew this scene because it was in the board game scene it mm -hmm. um which actually inspired us to play bring out <laughs> yeah, we pretty, which we, pretty bad at it yeah we haven't played it in years but as soon as like anything black and white, any black We're and like, white oops. movie comes up, it's like, ooh, we really don't know anything about movies. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, I had oh, I had a thought, which is that I don't really like spy movies. So maybe it was mm. the combination of action and spy. Because like I've seen the first of the Daniel Craig, James Bond, and then one of the Pierce Brosnan ones. And I did not like either of them. Um, I can't think of. I don't know. Have I ever seen a spy movie I liked? Maybe Spy Kids. I do like. Is Bandits a spy movie? Uh, no, that's that's not. No. Um, yeah. Would you say you liked this as much as you liked it when you were a kid? Do you still think it's a really great movie? 
I still enjoy it. Like, I'll probably watch it again in my lifetime. It, like, to what you're saying, too, it does have some really weird 90s action movie pacing where we're kind of... Oh, and some gross 90s misogyny. Yeah. There was a line in it that I was like, this is one of the grossest lines. And it's not, like, overtly gross, but just, like, the implication of it. I'm just like, ew. Yeah, who ick. let that line into this film? Just some ick. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like, it's by no means perfect. Um, and, yeah, like, it's... I, I don't love it the way that I loved it when I was, like, seven or eight years old when I was... when I first saw it, but... I think that I think there's a lot to enjoy about this movie and I, I still in like I still like watching it all unfold. There's sequences in here that I quite enjoy and again I, I, I think that Tom Cruise does a good job in this movie. So it's kind of where I netted out with rewatching it. But um to cap it all off, how did it make you feel? Just like pretty glazed over. Yeah. It just it just happened in front of my eyes and I felt very disconnected from it right i don't feel like happy about that i'm not mad at anyone who likes this movie there's just something about movies like this that i just really struggle to connect with in any meaningful way yeah and if other people do i i am very happy for that for them it's not a judgment on the movie itself it's just a type of movie that doesn't work for me personally yeah that's fair you yeah for for me it just made me want to watch all of them oh um but, Please don't make me. <laughs> but it'll probably be something I have to do on my own. <laughs> um, it's I, a solo journey. I think the only thing I could say to like sweeten the pot is that Simon Pegg is in a lot of them. Oh, um, I do like him. Yeah, isn't um, Justin Long in one of them? No, you were thinking about Die Hard, and I said that while we, while watched, we were the watching movie it. Too. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Which, speaking of, that was something. I, I know we're trying to end this conversation, but this was happening in my brain while we were watching Mission Impossible. Because when it first came up, I'm like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to like this. But then I was like, no, you really liked Terminator and T2. Terminator better than T2. Um, and you had never thought you'd like those movies. The you being me, Kylie. I'm speaking about myself in a weird way. Um, and I also really liked Die Hard. Mm-hmm. But then I was like, again, those movies are both about character journeys. Die Hard is more actiony, I actually think, than Terminator, because Terminator has enough of that like sci-fi dystopian to like get me interested in like that part of it, right? Um, and like some horror elements. Um, but at the end of the day, Die Hard is about like the relationship between like Bruce Willis and his and his wife, mm-hmm. Bruce Willis, John McClane, yeah. Um, and and so it's that character journey and like what I want the character to accomplish by the end that gets me hyped about the action and caring about the outcome of the action. Even when I feel like it's going to end up okay because it's a movie and characters have plot armor, I'm excited for it to come out the other way. Here I didn't care. Mm-hmm. Either way, what happened? So yeah, yeah I am. Um, That's fair. Like I, yeah. I feel like movies like using Die Hard as the example again they they do a lot of they do a lot of work in dialogue and mm-hmm. like kind of ex, like in delivering some of that exposition and character backstory through dialogue that kind of helps you brings you into the character a little bit more mm-hmm. and who and they and who they that. are and feel invested in them and you're right there's not a lot of this in this movie no like we just start and we start in the action and like 
I know you're saying that it's not action, 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 but like it's action, exposition, action, exposition. Like it's not yeah. action, character development, right? It's, yeah. Anyway, I was just thinking about that because I was like, I really liked Die Hard and Die Hard is really action-y. What is the difference? And that's where I kind of came that conclusion that it's about like investment in character growth. Right. Yeah. And that's fair. Like, I feel like there's just something about, and and it's kind of surprising too, because this is, this was written by David Quep, Kep, Kep. Um, <laughs> but he, he was the person who wrote Jurassic Park. And I think that oh, there's like actually Jurassic some Park. really great characters in Jurassic Park. Like there's very memorable characters. And while they don't necessarily go into deep, character backstories they have enough isms within each of the characters that yes, you agreed. you love all of them and relationships between characters that i didn't find in this either yeah um interesting yeah and also like like i love carrie but like brian de palma did not knock this one out of the park for me that's fair yeah all right well anyway that conversation got a little extended no that's great i um, love talking about that but I'm really excited to talk about this next movie. Yeah, me too. So I'm going to start this by talking about how it was my turn for a pick. And I had a movie in mind. And it was actually a movie I wanted to watch last week too. But then I ended up feeling like it. I wanted to watch a horror movie. You said you were in the mood for a horror movie. And last week when I thought I wanted to pick this movie, I ended up being like, ah, I don't think I'm in the mood for a horror movie. So I looked literally everywhere for this movie. You cannot rent or buy it. You can't stream it anywhere in Canada. Hmm. You mm -hmm. cannot rent or buy it digitally anywhere in Canada. It's not available physically or digitally through our public library. And so I was like, well, I guess we're not watching that movie I want to watch. Um, so I instead just like went to my list on the app I was on, which was Canopy. I was just like, let's pick the first thing that I had in in my list that jumps out at me. Now, what I will say is since since then... You can buy the movie that I wanted to watch like on Amazon and have it shipped, but I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to like it. So I texted our friend Lori, who um, who does uh, Queer Horror Cult, um, another really great podcast it's focused on horror movies through a queer lens. Um, and sure enough, she has a copy of it um, and, and said, I'm, ha I'm welcome to borrow at any time. So I can always rely on Lori to have all of the horror movies in some capacity. <laughs> And I'm excited to get to be able to watch this movie eventually. But because I couldn't watch the movie I originally wanted to watch, I just ended up out of the blue, out of nowhere, picking the movie Phantasm <laughs> from 1979. I literally knew nothing about it. Um, I don't even know how it came on my radar, but I wanted to watch it. Something told me it was important and that people like it. Uh, it's directed and written by Don Coscarelli. <laughs> Stars a whole host of people I've never seen in anything else. So A. Michael Baldwin as Mike, Bill Thornbury as Jody, Reggie Bannister as Reggie, which is always a sign that this is like a low-budget, like, friend group affair when, like, the characters just have the first names of the actors. Kathy Lester as the Lady in Lavender and Angus Scrim as the Tall Man. Synopsis for this is a teenage boy and his friends face off against a mysterious grave robber known only as the Tall Man who employs a lethal arsenal of unearthly weapons. The Tall Man is one of the scariest names that's ever been given so to anybody. fantastic. So good. Um, so, yeah. What did you think of Phantasm? Well, first of all, I was so excited that you picked it because I've been 
I've been wanting to watch a horror movie lately and I've been wanting to specifically watch Phantasm lately. Like this has kind of been like kind of at the forefront of what I've been wanting to watch. So I was so excited when the uh, title came up on the screen. But like you, I had no context about what this movie was about Mm -hmm. at all. Um, And yeah, it was so much fun. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like it was, and especially after we started reading up on it, after we watched it, it seemed like it was so much fun to make. Mm-hmm. And it's just like this super sweet little passion project between, yeah, like this group of people that just really wanted to make this horror movie in the late 70s. Um, yeah, it was, uh, I enjoyed all of the very over the top characters <laughs> mm-hmm. and like it was hammy, but it was still fun and played into um some very classic like kind of horror movie character tropes uh which was which was really great but it also has some really great horror sequences yeah there were some moments that i was like this was so gross in the best way or like genuinely terrifying like yeah really impressive it had that like diy love of like evil dead yeah 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 yeah. um or like more recently hellbender hellbender is that what that was called yes Yeah, Um, yeah 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 You you know, and I, there's something like you can feel it. You can feel the love in it. Um, I agree with you. It was just so fun. Mm -hmm. Like it was goofy, but like the effects were because they're practical effects. Mm -hmm. I will come back to this for always practical wins every, almost every time. Um, Great gore. And then some like actually truly like stunning imagery as well that if you like took a still frame of it. Is like really beautiful or really beautifully eerie. Um, <laughs> so good. But it has like some set dressing too that you're kind of like, what? Like it's kind of, why would all of this be in marble? <laughs> that was contact paper that looked like marble. That's awesome. But That's, it was, it, it worked. Yeah. It f- fooled me. Yeah. <laughs> um, there was, a, yeah, to to what you're saying about how it looked too, like, there was a, a few shots in here where they kind of used isolation to kind of shroud a single object in darkness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it had, did a good job of like in one shot, they're showing like this building that's kind of shrouded in darkness. And it's just like kind of has this like this black vignette around it and it looks imposing and scary and terrifying. But then they use that same technique on a person's face and it kind of brings out their vulnerability so it's kind of use. It's kind of cool that they use this technique, and it can convey totally yeah, you, different sort of uh, vibes and feels. Yeah, you can feel not just a love for like the project, but like a love for filmmaking in this. And yeah. like as I'm watching it, I'm thinking about like you know, and I didn't know much about it afterwards, but I had a feeling as I was watching it that this was done fairly low budget mm-hmm. and with like a fairly small crew. And then reading up afterwards, yes, that was the case. As I was watching, I'm like, how innovative did they have to be to get some of these like really good shots or these like pretty impressive effects or, you know, any of these moments? I'm like, they must have had to have been really creative in how they managed to do that with the equipment they had mm-hmm. and the time they had and the all of that. Right. And the, probably the experience level that many of the people had. And um, I love that so much. Yeah. Really well, impressive. I like that story that you brought up and I'm probably going to butcher it. Um, about how when they were making this movie, they would make it on the weekends and they would rent the camera equipment on a Friday and the the 
the place was it that the place was closed over the weekend? I think so. So they would just rent it for a day for the Friday, but keep it over the weekend and then return it on Monday, but only get charged for Friday. Yeah. So there's a game in the system yeah, to get I all just, this camera I love gear. That. I have a couple other fun trivia bits. Yeah, hit me with them. Um, so there's like this dual connection to Star Wars here. There's these characters in this that look a lot like Jawas. Yeah. Um, but this film was filming when which which Star Wars movie has Jawas in it? In the first one. Okay. Like so, New Hope. So they they were filming and had almost finished filming, I think, when that movie when the Star Wars movie came out, and then they were like, oh crap. <laughs> These look like Jawas. And so um Don Coscarelli had the idea to change the color of the robes so that at least they weren't brown robes and like looked the same. But they had shot so much of the film and they just didn't have the time or money. And he was like, I guess people are just gonna think we ripped off Star Wars. And that's <laughs> what it is. But then in a beautiful full circle moment, JJ Abrams, I guess, is quite a big fan of this movie, and he named Captain Phasma in tribute to Phantasm because Captain Phasma is all, in all metal. Um, so in, in reference to the spherical ball I love in, that. in the film. So I just think that's a beautiful little full, full circle moment that's of like... Sick. I like that. You know, him being like, oh crap, well, people are just going to think we ripped off this really famous movie with like a better budget than us or big, bigger <laughs> budget than us. Um, and then having that franchise come back around to like honor him later and like his innovation. I love that. Really cool. Uh, two other cool things, trivia-wise... Um, one is that there's homages to the novel Dune um, mm. that we then got <laughs> from having seen the, the new Dune, um, which were purposeful. And then also there's a, um, a room in in the film that's meant to homage 2001 A Space Odyssey. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah And yeah, so yeah. like really, lo really lovely, but like subtle, I think, homages to... I, I like that. I think that's really beautiful when like especially indie low budget DIY filmmakers pay tribute to these things that have like inspired their love of like film or genre. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was cool. And then uh, my last piece of trivia, which I just think is so great. There's a character who has like the first really fun death scene and um, it being practical effects. Like there was a lot that went into creating that scene. And I guess he was so tired. His name's Kenneth V Jones. He was so tired after the scene was done that he pulled over or he just he just like decided not to clean himself off so he had all this like fake blood, blood on him and he got pulled over by a cop on his way home in the middle of the night because they're often filming at night on the weekends yeah and the cop like wasn't convinced that he hadn't been involved in something nefarious oh god oh so funny what a what a diy um thing i um i wanted to read a review that uh, somebody i follow on letterboxd i just like i love their reviews uh i want to read part of what they wrote for this if you would indulge me i will um so this is from the letterbox user emily rugburn who i just find to have incredibly thoughtful takes on the things that they watch um and this is i think from a, a it, it was a double feature at a theater in la that was with night of the living dead as well so what sick. a fun double feature yeah. um and so i'm going to read part of the review so it says from a from user emily rugburn Best part of all, the great Don Coscarelli was in attendance to introduce the film and take part in a Q&A and trivia challenge, his idea. After the film, along with Phantasm's art director, David Gavin Brown, and co-producer Paul Pepperman. Especially sweet highlight, the daughter and grandson of Ken Jones, um, that's a character who dies in the film, were there and handed out photos of the head drilling scene 
that we could have signed by the fellas. There was also a father-son duo who drove down from San Francisco, and the father spoke and said he'd seen Phantasm, his very first horror film, at age nine, and was showing it to his son because his son is nine now, and they're continuing the family tradition. God, I love cinema. Don Coscarelli was genuinely one of the nicer film people I've met in my life. He complimented people on their questions. He sat in the crowd and watched the film with us, and he wore a mask the entire time. Love that. Uh, He had a nightmare as a teenager about a silver sphere chasing him down a long corridor, and he brought that nightmare to life as one of the most iconic and viscerally scary scenes in the pantheon of great horror films. He followed his dream intuition to conjure up these surreal, ethereal images, and you feel so strongly as you watch that the images are the images because they have to be. They could happen no other way. His subconscious demanded it. It's the absolute epitome of horror filmmaking. Follow your intuition and trust your dreams. Nightmares. He wrote it, co-produced it, photographed it, directed it, and edited it himself, yet sat on stage at the Million Dollar Theater and commended the amazing group of people who helped him bring it all to life. What a true G. Highly recommended. If you've never seen the film, it will stick with you. That's so awesome. I just, I, I thought that was put into better words than we could could even come up with and just speaks to what we felt in watching it, which is that the love for the film, which still exists all these years later, like 79, what, so... 40 over 40 years later like still this love there's five movies in this franchise and he made them all he made them all and it's got like all the same actors in it so cool um so i just how can you not fall in love with that yeah yeah really if you've never seen it and you like diy 1970s horror you gotta check it out yeah no it was great super fun so how did phantasm make you feel um, it just made me feel good to like see a classic kind of essential horror film that is on a lot of lists and has been on my watch list for a long time. And yeah, it just like it also just kind of scratched that itch that I've been having of wanting to watch a horror movie. I don't know. Like I just have it like in my mind that we need to save all these horror movies until October because last October we watched a horror movie every day. But I I I need some horror in my life, especially yeah. in the summer. Like as soon as summer rolls around, like that just shoots me back to when I was a kid and I go get like seven horror movies for seven nights for seven bucks. Like I, I want to watch horror movies during the and summer a, Like the 1970s are like the ones that feel like summer. Yeah. I am so sad and so disappointed that we're going to be out east when um, and they're doing this uh, like, wow, I can't talk. This parking lot Texas Chainsaw Massacre screening and it happens the day we leave. Yeah. And I'm just like that, like that seems like the epitome of summer to me. So like, I'm kind of hoping our flight gets canceled. Yeah. <laughs> Rescheduled. Uh, that for the we, next that day. we suffer some of the air travel headache that people are experiencing. Just but that so. it works in our favor so we can watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre in a parking lot. Yeah. I love that movie so much. How yeah. do you feel? I, I just, I felt honestly so much joy. And I know that people who don't like horror probably, the way I feel about action movies, they probably are like, how do you get joy out of a horror movie? Ugh, I just do. <laughs> yeah. It was so fun. It was so, so joyful. And uh, I really liked it. Yeah. It's awesome. The last movie, <laughs> <laughs> the last movie that we went to see this week in the theater was Thor Love and Thunder. So it came out this year. It was directed by Taika Waititi, written by him, as well as Jennifer Kate. Katen Robinson and it stars Chris Hemsworth as Thor, Natalie Portman as Jane Foster slash the mighty Thor, Tessa Thompson as King Valkyrie, uh, Christian Bale as Gore the God Butcher, and Taika Waititi as Korg. 
Synopsis, Thor enlists the help of Valkyrie Korg and ex-girlfriend Jane Foster to fight Gore the God Butcher, who intends to make the gods extinct. So, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We saw this because we, as of lately, we've been going to see all of the Marvel movies that come out. We are big Marvel fans. We've mentioned that we kind of got full fully into the MCU over the course of the pandemic. Um, We really like what Taika did with Ragnarok. Same as most people. Um, And we just like Taika Waititi uh, aside from that. But going into this, we had seen some friends of ours giving this lower ratings and they're big MCU fans. And they gave this low, lower ratings than we were expecting to see. Um, so we're like, okay, let's prepare ourselves. But still, I think both of us went into this with an open mind. Yeah, uh, trying to be optimistic. Yeah, exactly. But what did you think of Thor Love and Thunder? I feel like I'm being a real wet blanket this episode, but (laughs) I was just, it was so mid-tier. Yeah. I So I like want to preface this with saying that (laughs) kind of following off of last week us talking about like people who review bomb or like hate on actors just to hate on actors like Mm -hmm. i really dislike hating on anything in a really like aggressive talking about it all the time and dismissing other people way right just for the sake of it like just hating the mcu because it's the mcu like i think it's perfectly fine to say mcu movies aren't for me Mm -hmm. or i don't like mcu movies or even though i've never seen one i don't think i'd like one i'm yeah, I don't really like action movies and I tend to avoid them and I think that's okay. But I'm going to try really hard not to deny anyone else's love of those things. Yeah. And so, you know, I I already kind of go in with like a, I want to like it because like just because everybody hated it, might it might not be bad. Um, <laughs> just, just it, it, I'm like sad about it. I'm, honestly, I'm sad about it. Yeah, like it's actually sticking with me just like this kind of yucky feeling yeah. of how disappointed I am in this movie. Yeah. Like I'm starting to understand the like just blanket hatement of the MCU is like, you know, all these critiques of it being like a machine, a capitalist machine. I'm like, I've really resisted that and been like, no, it has, it's doing storytelling in a way that not a lot of other places are doing. And it's, you know, it offers a lot of comfort and the characterization is really good. And I feel like maybe that's falling away yeah like yeah like i was we've, we talked about it on the show so we don't need to reiterate but i was really disappointed in dr strange and i had been excited about that for ages mm-hmm. like more excited than i was for thor mm-hmm. because i i don't i like ragnarok it's fun but i've never been that into thor as a character um yeah. eternals like we liked it more than a lot of people but like it hasn't stuck with us in any meaningful way mm-hmm and I was hoping that like those were exceptions rather than a pattern. Yeah. And now I think three in a row makes a pattern. I guess Spider-Man was in between there and I did like that. But. Well, yeah, like it's kind of like in the in the last year, uh, a year and a bit of Marvel, like we've of the, the, the things that we've enjoyed are like WandaVision, Loki, Shang-Chi and Spider-Man No Way Home. Mm-hmm. Everything else says, yeah, kind of it's fallen into this pattern. And like, and that's, I mean, Hawkeye was fine. 
Um, we, I thought you said a hot guy. <laughs> I was like, hot, hot guy, guy was fine. Hot guy was fine. Who's the hot guy? <laughs> um, Hawkeye was fine. Um, Moon Knight, we didn't finish. Didn't finish Moon Knight. Miss Marvel's going okay. That's fun. Um, but yeah, like, yeah, just Eternals and Doctor Strange and now this and, and Black Widow have all just kind of been like, mm, okay. And it's, yeah, it's starting to like, it's starting to reframe things. Like, like you said, I don't really, I don't really care that much as Thor, uh, for Thor as a character mm-hmm. that much. Even once Taika got a hold of the property and did what he did with Ragnarok to make Thor drastically different. Totally. Yeah. And that has stuck with him in his standalone movies as well as the subsequent Avenger movies after Mm -hmm. Ragnarok. But I said this when we were driving home from the movie, like I feel like Marvel has kind of painted themselves into a corner with Chris Hemsworth Thor um, in that they've kind of, turned him into this dummy like it's kind of the friends effect we were talking about this how as the show friends went on joey who wasn't just like this blatant dumb person at the beginning of the show he just became that yeah like like all the characters become caricatures of themselves yeah by the end of friends monica is not like she she's not always shrill but by the end that's all she that's all she is phoebe is wasn't always airheady but by the end, that's, that's all, she, that's is, all yeah. she is. And I feel like that's what's happening with Thor here is like, and it's made, it's made even more evident because it's, it's like they glommed onto three or four bits and they just replayed those bits. And we've, yeah. we've, we already saw it in Ragnarok and then they repeat them here and then they just like do a loop. And yeah. it's just like I saw a lot of reviews calling this like Ragnarok Redux and I was like, that's harsh. But then I saw the movie and I was like, maybe it's yeah. not. <laughs> I don't know. I felt um and I yeah, we talked about this a fair amount already together. And on the ride home from the theater, I said, um, this felt like Taika Waititi in a stranglehold. Like it felt like yeah. they it, it felt like Marvel wanted to give him some more room to run, but but not fully. And then there was just this like clash between the Taika Waititi humor that we love from like our flag means death what we do in the shadows um hunt hunt uh for the wilder people and and then like what the MCU does and that like rather than them making some kind of new fusion together they just kept bumping up against each other until they both broke apart yeah and same I think could be said about Doctor Doctor Strange Strange. yeah that it was like there's these moments of Sam Raimi that you see and then there's these moments of the MCU that you see, but never do the two gel. Yeah. And and I totally felt that it just, it felt disconnected from anything bigger. Yeah. Like anything bigger in the MCU. I felt a lack of character arc that felt divorced from, like I said, the larger MCU, but also from the prior Thor films. Like the events of the previous films are like, they're shown in an exposition, an exposition-y way as if they're just trying to like give context to anyone who hasn't seen those films or hasn't seen them in a while. Mm-hmm. And yet their events bear no emotional weight within the film. Yeah. Like it's just like, oh, here's context for the plot points, but there's nothing building within the character of Thor that ties meaningfully to that to me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like, yeah. like I feel like, uh, yeah, like I feel like not since maybe I'm wrong, but not since Loki 
has anything that's come out of the MCU felt like it's had any weight or bearing on the larger MCU but then the moving dis- forward. Sorry, to, sorry, I interrupted a little bit there. Um, I'm just getting fired up. <laughs> I'm just getting a little fired, fired up, up right now. I feel a little bit fired up because the MCU is disappointing me. <laughs> That's the thing that I think is so disappointing is when Loki ended the way that it ended. I was like, we are into the next Thanos. Yeah. And I'm so excited for this. I was so jazzed on it. And then the events of Loki have had literally no bearing on anything that has come out since. Yeah, I know. Like, I thought they were going to connect to No Way Home. They did not. Mm-hmm. I thought they were going to connect in Doctor, Multiverse of Madness. Doctor Strange, yeah. Did not. Yep. And I'm just like, what the what, what the hell is even that? Well, even like, <laughs> like the, the, they set up the consequences of the multiverse in Loki. But like now it's just starting to seem like each property, like Loki, Spider-Man, and Doctor Strange are just going to do their own multiverse thing and not none of them are connected to each other. Yeah, and I hate that. Yeah, it, yeah, it's not what I was expecting um, because that's kind of what Marvel's always done to this point. Like everything had a connection to each other, which led us to the Avengers, which, lend, which led us to Infinity War and Endgame. Which is what made it so amazing. Yeah. Like that's what made it like... You need be to see the thing everything. that swells my heart as I'm watching because of the culmination of ev- it's like watching a TV show, right? Where like mm-hmm. you have so much more investment in the characters and and the stories and the context that it enriches this current experience, and yet that's all f- seems to have fallen away to me. The the biggest bummer for me is that there were cool themes, there were cool ideas, there were cool moments and scenes and elements, and yet none of them worked for me in a coherent way. Like, I'd be like, objectively, I think I like that, or objectively, I should like that, or objectively, I like the thought of that. I like it in theory, and yet something about the experience just felt hollow. Yeah. It felt like, you know, when you get, like, those real, like, look, especially, like, Easter Bunny chocolate, (laughs) and it, like, looks really good, Mm -hmm. and you're really excited to eat it, and then... It ends up being super thin and it's hollow inside. It's like that dollar store chocolate. And it tastes like crap. Yeah. Like, first of all, it's not solid. And you're like, oh, so there's less chocolate than I thought there was. And then the chocolate's really thin and brittle. And you're like, oh, that sucks too. And then it doesn't even taste good. And it's like dusty. Yeah. (laughs) It's dusty. Yeah. (laughs) Thor Love and Thunder is dusty like Easter Bunny chocolate. So, (laughs) and and again, the bummer for for me is like, it's not a bad movie. No. And like, everybody does a good job. Like, individual like all of the individual things are fine like chris hemsworth does a good job as thor uh tessa thompson does a good job as valkyrie natalie portman's return is good taika watiti directs it well christian bale is fine as gore you were really interested in that character mm-hmm. i was too but i think you were you were quite interested in him but then just it doesn't all of it together for some reason just doesn't work like the moments i was supposed to feel excited or heart swelly or i just didn't yeah, I I want to I want to talk about the characters a little bit, but like one last thing I want to say about this is just we've gone to opening night now of the more recently Doctor Strange, the Multiverse of Madness, and now this, mm-hmm. and both times has been a full theater, and it has been just so loot like. It's, I feel like it's not just us. Like I feel like the response from the audience in both of those showings 
was very lukewarm. Yeah, and I used to really enjoy seeing Marvel movies on opening night for like the frequency in the room between like the electricity between everybody. And that was, and it was there, there in Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> Jinx, you owe me a Coke. Um and it was there in Lost Highway. <laughs> yeah. Like it it's not like it's a just a ubiquitous change in the theater going experience since COVID has started. Mm-hmm. It's something particular to these movies. Um and interestingly, I haven't finished reading it, but I was reading the AV Club review of it and um they said that it felt that way in their theater too. That there was just a lack of joy mm. or a lack there there was a, a feeling lacking. Yeah. And um and I I felt a I this theater was better than like Doctor Strange was murmury and like fidgety. Yeah. This wasn't. Like everybody was watching it, but it kind of felt like we were just all kind of bumped out. Yeah. Like nobody see there wasn't an electricity. Yeah. Like even like the jokes and the bits, you'd get like a like a like yeah. that's kind of the most it got out of a little bit more at the us. beginning, and then it and then it tapered off. Well, because they just did the same jokes and bits over and over again. Um, I want to talk about something. Do you know that I used to be obsessed with Guns N' Roses? <laughs> yeah. You do know that? Yeah, yeah. So that was kind of fun. <laughs> 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 I went through a real like hair metal period in high school. So this was great. Like just, I, the yeah. soundtrack was great. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Where I was like, oh, I, I, like I was like a like I owned all of Guns N' Roses CDs. <laughs> like I went out to HMV and bought them all, and I saw them in concert. Do you know this? Yes, I do know that. Do you know that I didn't get to stay for the whole show because they went on so much later than they said they were going to, mm-hmm. and I couldn't drive at the time, and my mom came to pick me up, um, and I was with somebody. I can't recall now if we had dated and had since broken up, or if. I wanted to date this person and we hadn't started dating yet. One of the two. But either way, it was really embarrassing to have to like leave early. And like my mom was driving the both of us. Mm. Um, <laughs> like my mom was like, I'm not waiting any longer. And so we never got to see them sing Paradise City, which sucked. But Sweet Child of Mine is my favorite. And we did get to hear them sing that. So yeah, that that was kind of fun because I I I do really like Guns N' Roses. Great. Fun trivia fact. That's great. I'm glad that there was a little bit of. Yeah, I still, I still liked the needle drop moments. Like they didn't, they were fun. And it's no immigrant song. No, but but I like Guns N' Roses better than Led Zeppelin. Or to say, I've had a Guns N' Roses phase in my life. I've never had a Led Zeppelin phase in my That's life. Fair. So yeah, the the things I want to I want to touch on is just like I feel so like I was I was excited to. Uh, I wouldn't say excited. I was looking forward to this movie because of Natalie Portman coming back and like love Tessa Thompson as Valkyrie and Christian Bale looked creepy in, <laughs> in the trailer leading up to this. Um, And like, I just feel, I feel like there is a really, there's, there's a more interesting movie kind of hidden underneath this. Like mm-hmm. I, because like I said, I don't really care much for Thor as a character, but I, was really interested in Jane Foster's version of Thor in this. Mm-hmm. And it just, it didn't explore it as much as I would have liked. I like Tessa Thompson as Valkyrie a lot and I just could have used more of her in this. Um, but also, like, I feel like Christian Bale's character of Gore was really, I mean, the the opening scene is really cool. And I think I leaned over to you and said, hey, that was cool. Yeah. And then, and then that, like, gave us hope. 
that this yeah. is like, hey, maybe we're going to like this more than other people did. Well, and like, I just felt like what he was bringing to the table as Gore and Gore as a villain uh, as a whole is kind of reminiscent for me as for as the characters of Killmonger and even Thanos, mm -hmm. where you have this understanding of where the villain is coming from and their intentions for wanting to do the things that they're doing. But you you understand that fundamentally it's bad mm -hmm. or that. Yeah, the, the logic behind it is understandable and we empathize with it, but the way they're going about it isn't so good. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I just, yeah, I, I thought that as a villain, that was really compelling. That Because this was a shorter movie, like the pacing was very quick. Which was a problem with Doctor Strange too. It just felt like there was no room to breathe. Yeah, and like it's, yeah, it, it's just... They're very blatant with their exposition dumps. Yeah. And not that they always haven't been, but there just wasn't enough else to excuse that. It was. Yeah, I, I really felt it in here. Well, that's the I mean, I know we're saying a lot like and that's why it's starting to feel like a pattern is our issues with Doctor Strange are similar to our issues with this. But we both felt like Doctor Strange would have been better from with Wanda as the protagonist. I felt this would have been better with Jane as the protagonist. I felt like it would have been a more interesting movie. Yep. I agree. And so, yeah. Um, yeah, not much more to say. Big bummer. Uh, <laughs> but how did it make you feel? Very, very, very disappointed. Yeah. It made me feel disappointed, but it also made me feel weary about Marvel moving forward because yeah. I don't, whereas in like the previous phases, I could, I, you had an idea of what they were setting up and where they were going, I don't know where they're going yeah. right now. I don't know what they're setting up. I'm hoping that it pays off. But um, you don't have a lot of but I'm, faith in that. I'm very weary. <laughs> I am. I'm going to say this as clearly as I can because I know Kevin Feige's listening. <laughs> <laughs> don't hate us, Kevin. No, what I'm going to say is, Kevin, I'm not mad, but I am very disappointed. Oh, oh man, she hit you with it, Kev. Yeah. Get so, it together. if you could... Change things, that'd be great. Yeah, turn that baseball cap around and <laughs> make something happen. All right. So that was a bit of a bummer. Bit of a bummer. Um, but now it, we're on to some fun times. Let's name some bad dads and rad dads of the week. Who is your bad dad? My bad dad of the week is Bill Thornbury's character of Jody. From Mine Fantastic. too. Hell yeah. <laughs> I did not expect that because like I was kind of humming and hawing oh, about it. He's got such bad dad energy. Big time. Holy moly. He's got that like 70s horror movie ignorance. Oh my goodness. Of you like know? the, yeah, just like he's the boyfriend of the like hot girl in every 70s horror film, except yeah. he plays a bigger role than that. And so it's so aggravating because we actually are reliant on him to do something for characters we care about. And he's not just like a side character that we want to see killed off. Yeah. yeah. So I have that. He's like checked out from like the things that matter. Mm -hmm. His brother has serious trauma and he's just finds him annoying and is dismissive of him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it takes literal life and death for him to believe what his brother's saying or care about his brother in any meaningful way. Yeah. And he is disrespectful of the cemetery. He is disrespectful of the dead. Yeah. So. Big time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I echo all of that. He just like, he, he should have been killed off immediately and said <laughs> we have to spend like the whole movie with this dummy. Oh, he made me so mad. I liked, I liked Mike. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> did not care for Jody. Which I mean is I think that was the point. So it's not like a critique of the film, but like that character just has bad dad energy all Big over time. him. All right, Jody. So you know what? Get out of here. Get out of here. We don't want you as our dad. Yeah. Uh Rad Dad. So I I I had difficulty with this because I actually yeah. had like a short list. I typed a bunch of stuff out and then deleted it and changed it. Okay. Um I don't think you're gonna have who I have, but I picked Ethan Hunt by Tom Cruise in Mission yeah, Impossible. Definitely not. <laughs> Try to convince me. Um, so my my whole thing was kind of based around his dedication to his team. Like he was because he's like the team leader, he was like very much he cared very much about ensuring that everybody was where they needed to be and doing what they needed to do. And when things go sideways, like he has this hustle that's just like he needs to protect them to save them. And he's like he's driven by this mission to right the wrongs that are being done and like he cares about those he cares about those around him who have not double crossed him and, and he's just like he's so passionate about that and he's seeking he's seeking information and he's seeking validation from people that he looks up to and yeah i i think that that's the kind of person that you want like you want that's caring person that's also willing to learn and uncover things that they didn't know previously so that's kind of my rationale for all right, Ethan. All right. All right. Who you pick? <laughs> I picked King Valkyrie. Yeah. The character played by Tessa Thompson yeah, in yeah, Thor yeah. Love and Thunder. Um, I just first of all think that like she just has big time dad energy. Yeah. Um like she I actually think a lot of what you just said for the character of Ethan Hunt could be applied to the character of Valkyrie. Yeah. Which is that like she has what's best for the group in mind always. Yeah. Um I love her like straightforward sense of communicating and yet she still has a deep love and like compassion mm-hmm. for the folks around her and for her people. Um yeah. But, like because she was on my short list too. And something I was kind of thinking about is that she doesn't really seem to love her position. But she knows that she's at, the best for the job. Yeah, like she doesn't love that she's the king of New Asgard, but she understands that the people need her yes. and that she needs to be there for them. Yes. And that she needs to, like, I even get the vibe that she, while she may not, it may not be her first choice of thing to do. She's willing to pivot and do yes. what needs to be done yeah. for these people. Yeah. Um, And she's like super babe. So I think she's our rad dad of the week. <laughs> yeah. I also like, are we a lot? I mean, we make our own rules, but I also want to nominate her as bonus daddy. Can she be both rad dad and bonus daddy? Oh, man. Can such a thing occur? Also, Tess- Tessa Thompson has been a rad dad before. That's true. Would you, like that's And not a, not a daddy? I, I don't think we named her as daddy that week. And I think that character is not really necessarily daddy. I think Screw just- it. Let's make her rad dad and daddy. Yeah. We make our own rules here. And I make the graphics. So <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Um, all right. So T- Tessa Thompson, King Valkyrie, um, be our dad, but also... <laughs> Weed woo. <laughs> King Valkyrie in a suit. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, Tessa Thompson, we love you. Yeah. We love you. We didn't love Thor Love and Thunder, but we do love you. Yeah. So we love and support you. That's why you get double noms. Yeah. 
Hell yeah. All cool. right. Um, was Reggie also on your list, shortlist for Rad Dads? Because that's who I, like Reggie, for, like the friend from Phantasm, I had all written out as my Rad Dad of the Week. Uh, and then I was like, nah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like I literally wrote it all out and then I was like, you can't give it to Reggie. Take that away. <laughs> A little ice cream boy. <laughs> Get out of here, ice cream boy. No, I didn't have him. Okay. <laughs> but I love that. All right, Rad Wreck time. And this is the Rad Wreck. We've been teasing for. We've been teasing for months. Yeah. This was the one we mentioned a number of episodes ago. I think it was episode three. Yeah. We're like, we're going to push this to next week. And then we're like, we're just going to push this to when we feel it's appropriate. And we feel now it is appropriate. Mm -hmm. So why don't you introduce us to this because this is gonna be a lengthier one but it's a really important one so the general rad wreck here is support your local cinema or cinemas but support yeah. local cinema um and then for us what that means is metro cinema mm -hmm. we talk about it all the time they are not a sponsor no no <laughs> although we would gladly let them be <laughs> yeah um but they, uh, Metro Cinema is one of the most important places in the world to me. Yeah, um, likewise. And I think it's so important to support keeping local businesses alive, period. But for us, local cinema is alive um, and thriving. So let's talk a little bit about like what Metro Cinema means to us. Yeah. So for me... A few things about it is like, I know that early on in our relationship, when, you know, we were, it was still pretty fresh. And while we're not planning on getting married now, but back then when we talk about marriage and stuff, we're like, oh, if we get married, we're going to get married at Metro Cinema. Yeah. It was like, it's not even a question. Yeah. If we were to get married and have a ceremony that it would, it would be at Metro. Yeah. And like, we didn't have to, we both just knew that. Yeah. And I think that both of us felt this kind of profound fear of losing it during the pandemic because it is just like this small sort of independently owned cinema. So and just because the pandemic was just kind of raging on and on, I was so scared that we were going to lose it. Yeah, We lost one of our other local cinemas, which, you know, I don't know where it's at right now, but it still hasn't reopened. Mm -hmm. It's so it's. It's called the Princess Theater, and it's another theater we really like. Mm -hmm. um, every time we drive past it and I see the marquee advertising Rocky Horror Picture Show, I'm like, oh, we should go see that. And then I'm like, oh, that's just an old marquee. That and I, and I feel such a profound sadness. And there was a moment where I died a little inside when one of our friends told us that there was a for sale sign up. I don't know if you remember this yeah, in the yeah, midst yeah. of in, in like the earlier months of the pandemic and they had just mistaken it was for like a business directly beside Metro. Mm -hmm. But I was like, no, <laughs> yeah. no. Um, so we have to, you know, if your local cinema means something to you, you need to do something to, to help keep it alive. Yeah. Um, like even throughout the pandemic, um, when they weren't showing films, they would have kind of like popcorn days where you could go and donate and it was just nice to be back in that space like even not seeing a movie just being back in there smelling the yeah. popcorn again and there's something about these like one room theaters where like 
everybody who's there is there to see the same movie. Mm-hmm. Everybody in the lobby's there to see the same movie. Everyone working there knows what everybody's going to go see. And there's a camaraderie there. There's a love for film inherent there. I feel like there's a lot less, oh, let's just go to a movie because we're bored, mm-hmm. um, which is fine. Mm-hmm. I also, I don't know if you know this story, but so Metro Cinema hasn't always been at the Garneau Theater. Yeah. It yeah, used yeah. to be downtown um, in the Citadel, I think. Right. Yeah. And the first time I ever went to a Metro Cinema movie, it was the um, documentary Gonzo mm, about right. Hunter Thompson, who is her cat is named after. Mm-hmm. And my dad took me to it um, because it was downtown Edmonton and we lived south of the city. And um, it wasn't a movie he would have wanted to see, but he knew I really wanted to see it. And it was, you know, independent film that wasn't going to play in the cineplexes and he drove out there with me and we watched it together and I have a really good memory of that like it's a foundational memory for me of like my dad taking the time to like drive me out to this movie that I wanted to see um, and supporting me in that and then like the fact that this theater played it and yeah just you know I, I had my dad and I bonded a lot over over movies and there's a lot of movies that we go and we get to see at Metro like Jaws, we got to take yeah. my bro- my brother had never seen it before, I think. Yeah, and we went and showed it to him for the first time in the theater. And I sometimes I um I think about like if my dad was still alive, getting to like go see these movies with him and like re-experience the these movies that he saw in the theater when they came out, like Halloween and The Exorcist, and that mm-hmm. he got to see. Uh, we weren't alive yet, and getting to like experience that in the theater with him. And I'm sad to not have had that. But then it feels like a way to honor him at the same time. Mm, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. I just, yeah, I, that's something about Metro I really appreciate. It's just I kind of associate, associated with being a, mo- a, a theater of firsts. Mm-hmm. Like, cause it, it replays these classic films or films that maybe never got a wide release or, you know, just these fundamental films that you're able to take people to, or you're able to experience in the theater for the first time. Um, Like the fact that we got to experience lost highway for the first time in the theater is so exciting and so cool. And like, yeah, getting to take your brother to see jaws was huge. And I mean, and something else that I just like, I love about Metro cinema specifically and the way they curate movies and the catalogs that they put out that I don't know is true of every like independent or local cinema is that like us, they aren't judgy. Like mm-hmm. they will play eight and a half one night, X the next night, Gremlins the next night, All Dogs Go to Heaven the next night, <laughs> yeah. Mission Impossible, right? Like they will play a total mixture of genres, acclaim, audience target. Like, you know, it's they'll play new indie films. They'll play classic films that you and I have never had a chance to see. They'll play classic films that we love. They theme them like at Christmas time and their events. And, and while sometimes it can be like a bit of a bummer when it's like, okay, this movie's only playing at one or two very specific times. There's also a magic to that of like, ah, rats, I missed it this time, but maybe next time. And or do I rearrange my schedule to go and see this, right? That like feels a little bit more special than like, Oh, well, it's going to be playing for three months every night of the week, six different showtimes at Cineplex. It's like, okay, if we want to go see this, we got to set aside that night to see it. Like, I'm I'm really bummed because there's this movie 
like called the Timekeepers of Eternity. And we saw a trailer for it because they play trailers for like what's upcoming on their calendar. We saw a trailer for it when we saw Lost Highway. And as we were watching it, I was like, is this the Langoliers? Which is like this god awful made for TV Stephen King adaptation that like I think is widely considered one of the worst things ever made. Mm -hmm. And my brother and I used to watch it obsessively. (laughs) Um, And it's like this artsy remixing of it where like the person printed the film out on paper black and white and then like collaged it into a one-hour film and i was really excited to go and see it unfortunately it's only playing one time and we have a really important birthday celebration for two of our closest friends so that that trumps trumps going to see that movie but like what other theaters playing this weirdo thing yeah i wouldn't have even heard of it if not for that so you know i just their programming is so good. It is top notch and it only gets better, it seems, over time. And the people there are so friendly. They have taken COVID protocols so seriously. Yeah. Like I felt very safe going to that theater. Um, I've always felt like the people working there, the people running it, care about their patrons, care about the movies. Mm-hmm. It's not just a business. I mean, it's not, it's not for profit, I believe. I think so. Um, there's like volunteers working. And they're very transparent, like when they've made changes, um, you know, they they explain why. I just can't say enough good things about them. We're trying to um, carry on the tradition with like our niece. Mm-hmm. And do you want to talk about the first time we took her to a movie? There? Yeah, we were really excited to take her. They were showing The Corpse Bride, which I had never seen before. And she had never seen before. But we wanted to take her to Metro to see it in the theater for the first time and yeah we we took her and yeah it's just a it's kind of this older single cinema theater and we walk in we just start like wanting to get these initial reactions from her so just kind of start probing her like what do you think and what do you think of the theater she's like it's ancient ancient history ancient history so uh hopefully over time she'll come to appreciate that ancient history (laughs) and we'll take our our other people there but we we love going to see a movie do you know what your first movie was like at like the Garneau uh, Metro Cinema? I don't. You know what mine was? Mm. Super Size Me. Mm. I went with my, my parents took me there and I can't remember how old I, I was at the time. But I remember thinking it was the coolest theater ever. It, and it is, right? Like I, like the theater looks cool. It feels cool. And, and to me, it feels a little bit like home. Yeah. Like getting to go see a movie there. We, so St. Maud was the first movie we saw there after it had been closed for like over a year, mm-hmm. I think. And it like it felt like coming home yeah. to see a movie there. And mm-hmm. um, I've said it before. It's one of the only things that I would really miss if I moved away from Edmonton other than my friends and family. Um, So I just I like literally cannot say enough good things about this theater and its programming and the way it's run. Um, and if you aren't from Edmonton and you find yourself in Edmonton, you have to see a movie there. If you are from Edmonton or area and you've never been to Metro Cinema, you need to. Um, so I want to talk about some ways you can support them. First one is go to their films, bring your friends, tell people about it. And to, you know, follow on what we spoke about at the beginning, our favorite movie of the year so far, one of our favorite movies of all time is Everything Everywhere All at Once. They just added three new showings. They're playing it on July 18th, July 20th, which is my birthday. Ooh. Give me the birthday present of going to see everything everywhere all at once at Metro Cinema and July 22nd. We won't be in the province at the time, so we can't go to any of these shows. 
but so, so go to them in place of yeah, us. Yes, it would be <laughs> lovely. So that's one thing you can do. Um, give Metro gift cards to people as gifts. Yeah. So that you both give them money and get people into the theater. Buy passes. Um, you get a slight discount if you buy passes, but then you know you're giving them that, like letting them know that you want to go see their movies. They also have this really cool thing, which is one of my like bucket list goals is they have a silver screen pass which gives you um for like one annual fee you can go see almost any movie there with that pass mm-hmm. and there's a few that you can't just based on if it's programmed through a different kind of system um but you can see almost anything with that pass so I, one day i would love to be able to have one of those you can donate to them on their website um you can book their marquee yeah to like give a message and it always like warms my heart when i see that so cool and one of my new favorite ways to support them is that they have merch. Yeah. Hell and yeah. like really cool, awesome designed merch. I'm wearing a t-shirt right now. Yeah. So they have Cinema. t-shirts, they have enamel pins, which like, yeah, I um, am very basic and I love enamel pins. Mm-hmm. Um, they have tube socks. They have posters. Uh, so we, yeah, we have, we went and got t-shirts and enamel pins. And I probably would have gotten a poster, but we actually had a local artist, or I had a local artist named Nick Ross. Um, he has a Metro Cinema print he does where you can customize the marquee on it. And I had that done for you for a gift one year. So um, cool. And a portion of the proceeds went to Metro when that was done. So cool. Yeah, it's, a, it's this really beautiful rendering of uh, Metro Cinema at night. And what did I put on the marquee? Jaws, Parasite, and uh, Midsommar. Yeah, Midsommar. <laughs> if I wanted to put everything everywhere all at once, which wasn't out at that time it would have taken up the whole market <laughs> yeah and then some but um yeah if yeah. you if you're in edmonton or you just want to support this a theater that we love those are some ways to do it if you're not i encourage you to look into how to support your local cinema yeah the one that you love um and if you ever find your way here you got to go see a movie at metro yeah please do uh yeah it's just like talking about it more yeah there's just like so many memories tied up in this theater i think yeah just like from going to see scream there for the first time or like going to see the re the reissue of texas chainsaw massacre Ugh. or like die the, hard yeah the first time i ever saw die hard i think that uh christmas of 2019 so like just before the pandemic they we went and saw so many christmas movies yeah we saw it's a wonderful life which neither of us had seen before christmas we got to see gremlins we saw christmas story um We've seen so many of like our favorite classic horror films there for the first time, but then they also do just like great new programming, like films that you would wouldn't get a chance to see elsewhere. We're gonna go see a little preview. We're gonna go see the movie Slashback, um, mm-hmm. which is an indigenous like sci-fi horror film. Um, we're gonna go see that this weekend. Um, like I said, it's it's from like new indie films, classic films you've never seen, classic films you have seen. They really try to support um, like they have these curated collections. So they have this music doc collections where they play like documentaries about music. They try and play a lot of like um, locally created cinema and indigenous um, created cinema. And they try to support like diverse voices like it just everything. <laughs> everything about Metro is amazing yeah it's it's so great and their popcorn's good yeah and you know if it's your thing they have liquor there yeah which some people that like is a big selling point and post-pandemic they now take debit and credit so that's great too. oh yes you to not be able to, to pay debit or credit for their uh, concession but you can now they have full-size chocolate bars there 
Hell yeah. Instead of like weird little snack size things like that you get at like Cineplex or the other major theaters. Yeah. It's it's so good. They're so good. Yeah. So Rad Rack of the Week for us, it's it's supporting Metro Cinema. Um, but for you, wherever you are support supporting local cinema. Hell yeah. That's great. Just gushing and gushing and gushing. Big time. Lo- love it. And yeah, I, I worked at a local cinema for a long time. So that was like it it was always so cool to to see people come out and like not want to drive to the city to go see something at the Cineplex, but like want to stay local and go see movies in their hometown at the smaller theater. Yeah, do it. Go out there, support local cinema. And thank you for listening. (laughs) (laughs) Support your local or non-local podcast. Um, We drop a new episode every Thursday, but until then you can follow us and slide into our DMs on Instagram at baddad.raddad. You can check out the really fun way that we picked winners for our Marcella Shell with shoes on. Yeah, the contest um, went great, and we are so excited to go see this tiny shell with shoes and on. And we employed our beautiful little baby cat, who's 11 years old, <laughs> named Thompson, to help us with that. So go watch that fun video on our Instagram. Hell yeah. And if you end up going to one of your local cinemas that's not in Edmonton, Maybe hit us with some photos or or let us know what you're what you're going to see or you know like any information like we love learning more about uh local smaller theaters or independently owned theaters yeah we'd so. love to to chat about that with you or to share that on our instagram totally um you can also hit us up on Twitter at bad dad rad dad you can get a sneak peek at what we've been watching on our individual letterboxed accounts our links for those are in the show notes and if you could please drop us a rating review follow on apple podcast spotify wherever you're listening from we would absolutely love you forever um but that's gonna do it for this week so until next time i'm kylie and my dad's dead i'm elliot and my dad's a deadbeat but remember not all dads have to be bad (laughs) 